You're listening to That You Might Know, a series in the book of 1 John preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning thanking you for the opportunity to come and gather together as your people to uplift the Savior through song and through the word. And we pray, Lord, that as we've gathered together, you'd quiet our hearts. You would give us a sense of the urgency of our time and of the message. And Spirit of God, I pray that you would work in our midst. And so, Lord, we come, open our eyes to your truth. Spirit of God, have um, freedom and move um, effortlessly in our midst. Speak to hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Four and five-year-olds, you may be dismissed. Everyone else, please be seated. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and let's look together at 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse number 15. We come to 1 John chapter 2. It's been a while since we've been here, but I just want to remind you that John has an important message for each and every one of us this morning as he's speaking about our love on what we love and how we love it. But before we get there, just remember that he is writing to those who have been forgiven, who their guilt is gone. They are free. They know Jesus Christ. So they have been forgiven. They have known him who is from the beginning, that they have a vibrant relationship with the God of heaven, the eternal one, and that they are strong in the word. Verse 14, and they have overcome. That's who he's writing to. And here's his statement now in verse number 15. You, which is us believers this morning, do not love the world. Do not love the world. John's message this morning is not for those outside there. The message this morning is for us inside here. Those who know Jesus, the call is, listen, pay attention. This is important. Remember, written almost 2,000 years ago, this message is more pertinent today than ever. Do not love the world. Just in way of a reminder this morning, the idea of love when John uses this in the text throughout this epistle, is what we take pleasure in. To love something, what we take pleasure in. Sincere appreciation based on a high regard for its value or importance. And so John says, do not love, do not take pleasure in or base high importance or value in the world. And again, he's not talking about the created world which God created and said at the very end, it's very good. And even though marred by the fall, it is still pretty good. The beauty, the design, the glory, what we enjoy in this world is a gift. He's not talking about the created order, nor is he talking about created beings. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish. When he speaks of the world in this context, and this is where we're going to be today, um, there's lots of ways to describe what he's talking about, but the most succinct way to say this is when we talk about loving or taking pleasure or valuing the world, by world what we mean is this. The mindset or the philosophy 
that all that matters is now. And you're going to see it today. This, this loving the world is the mindset that all that really matters, all that's important, all that is of value is right here and right now. What we see, what we touch, what we have, and what we hold. And John will tell us and warn us that is not the case. There is something far greater and more solid and longer lasting. Now, just so that you know, this is not the first time he uses the word love in this epistle. It's actually the second. But I want you to notice the three times together that he uses this. In verse number 10, this is the first mention of John talking about love about taking pleasure in, about appreciating, about value and, and showing worth to something. And here's what he says in verse number 10 of chapter 2. He who loves his brother or sister, and it's not just your sibling in your home. Some of you teenagers are like, yeah, right. Your brother and sister in Christ He who loves his brother and sister abides, remains, continues in the light, in the truth, in clarity, in line with God who is light. So, he says, the person who loves his brother and sister abides in the light and there is no cause of stumbling in him or in her. So the first time he uses the idea of love is this, hey, listen, The brother or sister who in the community of Christ loves one another. They're walking in light. They're walking in truth. They're walking in line with how God has designed them. There is no stumbling. There is no falling. They have a right relationship. This is the proper love. The second time he uses it, what we just read, don't love the world, that that warning there, But the third time he uses it falls right on the heels of what he just said in verse number 15. He said, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love, the pleasure, the value, the importance of the Father is not in him. When I take my love and affection and put it towards something other than God himself or the things of the world or the now, the want, 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 the love of God is squeezed out of my life. So, just to notice this morning, before we dive in, true biblical love is always centered on a person. Not a thing, not on stuff, not on experiences, but a person. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A person, God, the God of glory, the immense God, the infinite God, the God who blows our mind is relational this morning. He longs for men and women who worship him in spirit and in truth. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then the second commandment, love your neighbor, the image bearers, as yourself. Biblical love is about a person. It is about people. And our culture is adrift today. Because we use people as a means to an end. 
Instead of loving people and using stuff in our culture, we love stuff and we use people. And John says, you've got to be careful about this because love centers on a person, God, and people, brothers and sisters in Christ, not on the things of this world. And you're going to see this morning a connection of living for now, living for stuff, possessing and loving between God and people. Jump down to verse 16 of our text. He tells us not to love the world. If you do love the Father's not in you. For all that is in the world, the lust or desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we just think about those, those terms, right? What I see, what I want, what I desire, it's want, want, want. We live in a culture, honestly, that is never satisfied. Never. Always more. It's not enough. I was down in Windsor yesterday and went to Chick-fil-A. If you've never been to Chick-fil-A, go there. Often. But they have an ice cream cone there. And I'm not a big ice cream, soft ice cream person. But every time I get a cone, um, they only have one size here, I think. I think in the U.S. it's extra, extra, extra large sizes, of course. Get the biggest size you can. I always think, ah, I just can't eat this. It's too much. And by the time I'm done, you know what I want? Another cone. It's just not, not enough. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's want, want, want. But I want you to notice something that I learned over the last couple of weeks. When John says the pride of life, the word life there, the Greek word is bios, that we get the word biology from, the study of life. And we get, oh, of course, the pride of life. But there's more to it. The idea of life expands that, and it talks about resources which one has as a means of living. The pride of life incorporates resources that we have as a means of living. And we get that. We will say, hey, they're living for uh, the weekend, fishing, a boat, a car, a home, the stuff, fashion. That's why the Christian Standard Bible translates that, that term, the pride of life, as the pride in one's possessions. John says, the desires of our flesh and our eyes and the pride of what I possess squeezes out love for God. If you have never read Tozer, you ought to read A.W. Tozer. You can pick up a book, Pursuit of God, Knowledge of the Holy, Divine Conquest. But he talks about this idea of possessions. And, and listen to what he says. There is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess always to possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could do. They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into the things, and we dare not pull out one Rootlet, lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by this monstrous substitution. The things, the stuff, their roots grow deep into our hearts, and we dare not pull one out because they have become our very self. 
We identify with these things. They are what we are and who we are. Like Owen said, we have living affection to dying things. And many of us have living affections to dead things. They're important to us, all of us, rich and poor alike. Now listen to me. This is not a message about go sell everything you have. Jesus walked the planet and he only said that to one man. Out of all of his inerrant, one man, because he was getting to the root of a problem. That's not what this is about. But let me remind you, we need to hold this stuff real loose. Real loose. Because when we grasp it, and, and whether you realize it or not, that root is in every one of our hearts. Every one of our hearts. And it kills us to think we might have to deal with it. The love for the world, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of possession, the want, the want, the want, pushes out the love for the Father. It seduces the believer, and it ensnares us. Jesus made this clear. Um, you don't have the verse on the wall. I, I don't think so. But Matthew 6, 24, here's what Jesus said. No man can serve two masters because he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or riches. You will either be loved and devoted to one or hate and despise the other. And so John's warning to us, his cry is this. He is shouting, hey, there is a pathway to solid joy and lasting treasures and it's not in what you think it is. At all. And we have been imbibed by this mindset. We've ingested it. That all that matters is now. And John is trying to wake up the church in the first century. And by his word, trying to wake up the church in the 21st century. That there's more than this. Why? Verse 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides for ever. He continues, she continues, and remains forever. And so the message is this. Don't love, don't value highly, don't put the importance on the things of this world, because if you do, you squeeze out the things of God. And remember, all of those things are passing away, and the only thing that will abide is the man or woman who does the will of God. John is going to get us all this morning to have an eternal perspective. Now, I want to be real honest with you this morning. I've been in this text for a long time now, for more than several weeks. And this idea of the eternal perspective and the stuff that I have and I know I see, this troubles me. In my life, just to be honest, I have this sense I'm always waiting for the shoe to fall. I had this foreboding that the phone call's coming, the report's coming back, the loss will be real and tangible. That's me, that's just me. And, and, and the reason, as I was just sort of doing this self-assessment of why that is, is because I love my world. I, I love it, and, and not in a bad way. I, I have a woman I've been married to for 36 years, I've loved her since I was 12. She didn't know it, but I was going to marry her at 12. She had no clue. I love her. I love my kids with a passion. Like, passionately love my kids. My grandkids have changed my world. I do things for them I would never do for my children. 
or any other human being. I did a backward somersault in the kitchen the other day. I'm still paying for it. I love them. I love my church. I love this church. 21 years, I love the people of this church. I love my small group. One guy, maybe not so much, but most of them. I love them. I love life. I love, I love where I live. I love the property. I love, I even, I even like a dog. <laughs> I don't want to lose it. But what it does is that, that thought, to be honest, exposes a real deficiency in my heart and life that I don't understand about the eternal perspective. Because, my friend, it's all passing away. All of it. And if our eyes could really turn to Jesus and see the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the love and the value and the worth of who he is, the love of the world would have no control over us. We need a proper perspective as we listen to the words of John. And so two points this morning, that's it. The one is review, won't be long. The other one we'll finish up on. We should not love the world, number one, because the world cannot give you what you truly need. Never. Ever, ever, ever. My wife was working a job. We were just married. It was a cruddy job. It was, it was, a, it was a factory down in Cleveland, and she went for a week. We were trying to make ends meet because we were poor, and she's working in this factory. And one morning, after, after, I think it was four days, after four days, she, she woke up. She had to get up at 6 in the morning, and I was getting ready to work. He said, Rick, I don't want to go into work today. I said, okay, what's wrong? She said, I just don't want to be there. I said, okay, um, you don't want to be there? She said, yeah, never. And I said, never? She said, never, ever, ever, ever. So she called up, and then she said, hey, I'm not coming in. They said, okay, um, when are you coming in? She said, never. I said, never? She said, never, ever, 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 ever coming in. And she didn't. She was true to her word, right? Listen to me. We all think that somewhere, some way, some person, something, some place, some experience is going to give us what we truly need. It will never work. The human heart longs to be fully known and fully loved. Every human being on this planet has a desire within. I want to be loved, truly loved, to love me for who I am, to know me fully, and yet not to walk away, not to turn your back, but to say, I'm in this. I feel sorry for our teenagers today. We live in a world that they're, they're, being, they're being told lies all the time about their identity and who they are and what they have to do to find love and acceptance and value and worth. Listen to me. There's a real danger. There's a fad going on about the identity of our children. And when they believe it, they're willing to mutilate their bodies for it at 12 and 13 years old. Because you don't want to be the outcast. You don't want to be different. You don't want to be a freak. You don't want to be the only one. You don't want to be a weirdo. But the truth is, all of those changes will never get you what your heart is looking for. And it's the same for adults this morning. The things we do and that we believe somehow, someway are going to give us value and dignity and worth and a sense of being fully known and fully loved, it will not come from any human person, any place, or any possession, ever. Believer in Christ, listen to me. We have love, acceptance, value, worth, and dignity. Why? 
because of him. It's found in Jesus Christ. There is a hole in every heart who longs for this. And we spend our lives, even believers, this lifelong hunt to fill this emptiness. And we believe some false god or false idol will do it. This time, if you do what I say, you'll belong, you'll have relief, you'll find peace, acceptance, value, and worth. And so, we turn to the food. We turn to the porn. We turn to the compromise. We try to change our identity. We try to have that experience, protect our image, get more stuff. And we keep going back to that well to slake our appetites. And the fact is, we continue to be insatiated and empty, and and it's dry over and over again. Yes, for a moment, but in the darkness of night, we know it will never, ever satisfy us. This morning, God cannot give you happiness outside of himself because it doesn't exist. It, It doesn't exist. In his presence is fullness of joy and pleasures evermore. So, the world cannot give you what you truly need. Number two, the world cannot give you what will last. The world cannot give you what will last. The world, this now, is the only thing that matters, philosophy, the deception of all of it. Its desires, the Bible says, are continually passing away. That's, that's the verb there. It's continually, not just it's going to pass away. All of it is continually passing away. So 100 years from now, most of our stuff will be in a dump. It's all passing away. But not only that, we ourselves are passing away. Away. There's an ancient Roman tradition that after a great military victory, the conquering general was put on a a chariot drawn by four horses and paraded throughout the entire city of Rome. And as the chariot was drawn through the parade, thousands and thousands would cheer and shout and just laud honor and glory, almost worship. Could you imagine? Could, Could you imagine if you're the guy, you're the girl, you're in the chariot, thousands, it's like a championship, right, in a city? It's like the Raptors or the Blue Jays and not the Maple Leafs, but it's like, it's like, and so there's a championship and we're, we're being paraded and one man, one man worshipped and in that chariot stood another man, a slave, right behind the conquering worship general and his sole responsibility for the entirety of the possession was to whisper one phrase into his ears. The whole day, as the, as the general is being worshipped for the honor and the dignity and the glory of his conquest, he whispered, Momento Mori. Momento Mori. Which means, remember, you must die. Remember, you must die. The glory, the accolades... All of it, as you're filling your head and filling your heart and drinking it all in, remember, you must die. Death is one universal, inescapable commonality. Listen to me this morning. The king dies. The peasant dies. The brilliant dies. The stupid 
dies. The rich, the poor, the black, the white, the Canadian and Cambodian, we die. It is coming for all of us. Yesterday, I held the hands of a man and prayed, and three hours later, he was gone. It's coming for all of us. It is a common enemy. Uh, in our family, the, the boys, at least three of us, are readers. The other two don't care. Just fine. It's not fine. They should read more. But we're reading or have read the book by Tolkien, The Cimmerillion. And uh, it's a great story. It is a um, cosmo, cosmo, cosmogeny. I don't know. It's, it's a story of how the Lord of the Rings universe was created. I know it sounds weird, and you think I'm weird, but it's a great read. The, the, the main character is Avatar, Aluvatar, and he is the God figure. And so he creates this universe. It's a beautiful picture. And it's created by, um, it doesn't matter. It's, it's music, and it's glorious, and it's beautiful. But he has two races that, he, that are his. They're his children. The one is elves, which doesn't matter to us. And the other is the race of men. And Tolkien says a strange thing. He says that to the race of men, the gift of death was given. Now, Tolkien was a Christian. He knew that death was a great enemy. And such a weird thing to say. But what he meant by that is this. That for the race of men, the idea of death, when we know and we understand and we're not being distracted by everything around us, it brings clarity, it inspires us, it motivates us for what is ultimate in light of what is inescapable and coming. When I quit pretending as if I'm going to live forever and nothing will change and I will never die. And we understand that death is coming. It gives us real clarity. And that's what John wants for us. This world is passing away. Death is coming. But in light of all of that, I want you to know this. It is common for all of us. It is coming. It should bring clarity. But as believers, death has been conquered. It's been conquered. Jesus Christ came, he lived, he physically died. He died on that Roman cross. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And today, this same Jesus is alive. And so with that in mind, we see that it's not all about this. It's about that about the eternal Christ, and so we are to live in light of this eternity. Therefore, the one who is doing the will of God, this one, abides forever. Believer, what are we doing? Are we doing the will of God? Our hearts must not be attached to the things of this world, but to the will of God, because that's what lasts. Forever. Christian, and I'm talking to myself, I'm just convicted about, hold on to. Are we living in light of eternity? And listen, this is not just some, oh yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great theory, that's a great thought. No, this is really practical. Because living in light of eternity, I make decisions today in light of that. What I do, what I say, how I respond to my spouse, how I deal with my own issues of anger and bitterness and greed, lust and envy, that I know I'm marching toward eternity, 
It changes what I have and what I give and, and how I think about me and mine and my stuff. It's really practical. It would change us today about our time management and how we waste it and how we're doing nothing. Some of you folks will, will get to heaven. I was thinking the other day, I don't know if you remember the, the, the scene in Willy Wonka, Chocolate Factory. That used to scare me as a child. Terrifying movie for children, actually. But here's Charlie Bucket. And all these kids, Veruca's is there, and all these kids are wealthy, they're rich, their parents bought all these chocolate bars to get the golden ticket. And so Willy Wonka is there, and, and he goes to each one of them, and when he gets to Charlie, he says, oh, I know you, you're Charlie Bucket, and you're just glad to be here. Because he's poor, had nothing. And, and some of you folks, you're living a life like Charlie Bucket. You can be glad to get there. Just glad that you made it in by the skin of your teeth. When you stand before Christ and realize the sacrifice that he's done for you and the life he's given you and what we've done with it, anything, anything. There's been one life that's been impacted, one soul that was directed to Christ, one person that was helped that you made a sacrifice for. We must live in light of eternity. In that light, every sacrifice, every sacrifice will be small. Infantismal. It, it, it won't even be on the radar screen. Every sacrifice will be small. Every suffering will be light. Every suffering. I, I'm not oblivious. I know our people suffer. I know our people suffer. I mean, people suffering this morning. I know that. But in light of eternity, when I really grasp this, every Suffering will be light. There's a portion in Isaiah, I don't know where it's at right now, but he talks about the former things will only be a memory. Like the former pain, the former suffering. And it's like, oh yeah, remember that when I was on earth and I had cancer? and Was that called cancer? I don't even know. It doesn't even matter because that's former. Every suffering will be light. And every service will be easy. Believer. John is shouting out to the church of the first century, and he's shouting out to, out to us today, don't love this world. Don't live for the now, the stuff, the want, the want, the want. Why? It's all passing away. And the only thing that's going to last is the man or woman who does the will of God. They will abide forever. May that be us today. May we live in light of eternity. May we really believe that this is all passing away. And if you don't believe it now, you will believe it someday. It's all passing away. Revelation chapter 22, Pastor Dan read this morning. Let me just reiterate verses 12 through 14. And behold, Jesus speaking, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his or her work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of that city. Let's pray. I'm going to close this morning with a prayer by Tozer. And here's what he said. And may this be our prayer. Father, I want to know thee but my coward heart fears to give up its toys. 
I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from me the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished so long and which have become a very part of my living self, so that thou mayest enter and dwell there without a rival. Then shalt thou make thy place of thy feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it, for thyself will be the light of it, and there shall be no night there. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me in standing as we conclude with the worth is not in what I own, appropriate song today. If you have a need this morning and you'd like to pray, you can do that during the singing. You can do it afterwards as well. But we invite you to do business with God this morning as we worship in song. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about what you've just heard or are interested in the ministry of Maple City, please visit our website at maplecitybaptistchurch.com.